There is a famine in the land, and it's not of bread, not of water, but it's going to be of the word of God. That is fascinating. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And I simply report to you what the Bible reads. We're reading the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. That's what the Bible says. We'll see it today. It's a very interesting study. We'll do it in five minutes. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? The prophet Amos dates his prophecies to a very specific event. We're going to look at that today. Ryan? Today, my focus is on Amos chapter 5, verse 8, where the prophet mentions the Pleiades and Orion. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, that's coming up in 20 minutes. Janice is coming up in 25 minutes. Janice, what are you doing? Well, today is September the 5th, which means in a lot of places in the world, it's Labor Day. Labor Day is getting ready to go into the school year. So today we're going to acknowledge teachers. We're going to have special prayer for you in just a few moments. Amos 8, 1 through 14. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy, and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? Making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and every one mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son, and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from the north to east, They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Amos chapter 8 
verses 1 through 14. Well, Monday morning is always fun, isn't it? September 5th, this is an amazing time. We start Amos today in the television program, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. You say, that's a lot of chapters. Well, it's only a couple of uh, verses per chapter. We read in the scriptures how God gave visions to his prophets. Often these visions were about a coming event or a projection of the future. The minor prophets are called the book of the 12 in Hebrew and record many visions that speak to us even now. One example is a vision that Amos witnessed when he saw a basket of summer fruit. The meaning of this vision was that God's people were like the fruit ready to harvest, but rather than harvest for celebration, God's people would be harvested for judgment. Now, it's disturbing to me that we see many of the same sinful behaviors against God happening today that brought about this judgment. When we think about it, though, it's really no wonder that the people of God are struggling to follow in his ways. Consider that in a recent Gallup poll, and the poll was called Values and Beliefs. They did a survey and they asked the participant a question about the Bible, several questions. Of those who referred to themselves as we are Christian, listen carefully, only 25% believe the Bible is the word of God. 25%. In fact, 16% of the group called Christians referred to the Bible as a book of fables. 16%. How are Christians to follow God his way if they don't believe he has authoritatively spoken to them? Amazingly, the prophet Amos speaks about the time when there will be a famine, not of food and not of water, but there will be a famine and the famine will be of the word of God. Famine of the word of God. Interesting. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. You can get it by calling or writing to us or going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donation. And uh, you can download it as it's written. The time of famine. I, I want to pay attention to this today. It's important. Amos 8, 14 verses here. Let's go to the first one. Father, we pray in Jesus' name as we read this that you would help us to hear it. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amos 8. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So he said, a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the song of the temple shall be a wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Like the fruit, Israel was ripe for God's judgment. People will die and worship will become silent. God will judge between those who really know and serve him 
and those who do not. Listen carefully. God will judge between those who know him and those who do not. Do you believe him? His word. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Or is it just a book of fables? Whatever you believe, there's going to come a time of judgment. Whatever you believe, you're going to have to answer God for it. Straight ahead. You say, well, I don't believe in God. Okay, but you'll have to answer him. Amos chapter 8, verse 4. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and who make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. God reminds us when our thoughts are turned in the wrong direction, we must always keep our thoughts in God's direction. There is a great thought that God introduces. He says, you want to know something? Do to others what you would have them do to you. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus said, love your enemy. These are ideas that come from the Bible. They come from God. They're not from man. They're from God. Beloved, without God, we are nothing. We need to focus on the Lord and listen to him. Let's go back to the scripture. Amos chapter 8, 7 to 14. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in broad daylight. And I will turn your feast into mourning. And all your songs into lamentations. And I will bring sackcloth on every waist and boldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son. And its end will be like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God. That I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread. Nor a thirst for water. But of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine. They shall wander from sea to sea and from the northeast. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and the strong young men shall faint from thirst. And those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall. And never rise again. The Lord said a time is coming when there will be a famine in the land, not of food, water, but of the word of God. Beloved, we must learn 
and know and apply God's word in our lives. I apologize for the emotion, but it's so close to my heart. We've got to take the word of God and put it inside of us. We've got to make sure we know it and understand it. Have you read the Bible cover to cover yet? Have you done so? I encourage you to join us. Read the Bible because there's coming a day and there will be a famine, not of food and water, but of the word of God. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Now, at the very beginning of the book of Amos, this prophet gives us a very specific date for his prophecies. He gives us the reign of the king in, in Jerusalem and Israel, who he whose reign it was, which is Uzziah. But then he says two years before the earthquake. So this must have been a very big and memorable event if he can just say two years before the earthquake that happened during Uzziah's reign. Let's take a look at that. The prophet Amos was a shepherd from the village of Tekoa, and in the Old Testament book named after him, he dates his prophecies of chapter 1 as being given two years before the earthquake of King Uzziah of Judah. Immediately, the reader realizes that this earthquake must have been quite significant if Amos expects all of his readers to know about it. Another reference to this quake shows up in the Old Testament book of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 14 verse 5 says, You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. While earthquakes are common motifs used in the prophetic literature of the Bible, there are only four earthquakes that the Bible records as events. The earthquake during Elijah's time, when he fled to Mount Horeb and was trying to hear the voice of God, this earthquake of Amos and King Uzziah, the earthquake that occurred at the resurrection of Christ, and the earthquake that freed Paul and Silas from prison. The Roman historian Josephus also records the earthquake of Amos during the days of King Uzziah. He claims that the earthquake occurred on the very day that Uzziah, in his pride, had entered the temple unlawfully and that the quake caused a landslide on the Mount of Olives to pour into the Kidron Valley right next to Jerusalem. Along with the Bible and Josephus, it is now safe to say that archaeological research has confirmed Amos and Uzziah's earthquake. Many cities throughout the ancient lands of Judah and Israel show layers of destruction via earthquake at this level in history. Enormous split foundation stones tilted, fallen, and crumbled walls, cracked pavement, and destroyed city gate complexes all pointing or tilting to the south and east. Interestingly, evidence was also found that indicates heavy rain prior to and during the earthquake. This type of storm could explain Josephus's record of a landslide, wet soil and mud shaken loose by the roiling earth. 
you know, a lot of people, when they think about the, the prophets of, you know, the Old Testament of the Bible, they think of very vague things because, you know, the prophets use symbolism, they use imagery. Uh, sometimes there's apocalyptic literature in there that can be, you know, more esoteric to understand. Like it's, it's symbolism, so it can be really hard to grasp. So a lot of people think of the prophets in that way and they're surprised when they actually begin to read through the prophets that a lot of the prophets date their prophecies with with concrete not only reigns but also events and you know in in some cases years as well so uh you know the the reality of the situation is that the prophets it may take a little bit more work to understand them because we don't automatically know their their history anymore because it's so ancient it takes a little bit more work to grasp but it's definitely worth it and it's always really interesting when they do date their prophecies like this and we're able to go back to get more of a concrete time frame i love it because we're talking about ancient history and uh, mm -hmm. very few people do that um I think one time the History Channel did some stuff on ancient history, but it was it, it's really interesting to study ancient history and see these events there. Mm -hmm. Ryan? All right, well, today my segment is based on Amos chapter 5, verse 8, which acknowledges God as the creator of the Pleiades and Orion. And what's interesting is that the Pleiades is mentioned three times in the Bible, once in Amos and twice in Job. And another interesting fact is that each time the Pleiades is mentioned, it's always mentioned, mentioned in conjunction with the constellation Orion. So today, I want to take a look at these stars from both a scientific and a scriptural perspective, as well as a historical perspective. Check it out. Perhaps nearly as old as the stars themselves are the constellations. Indeed, out of the 88 officially recognized constellations today, 48 of them were handed down to us by the ancient Greeks, who in turn had relied heavily on even more ancient sources, which are now lost to us. A constellation is a group of stars that is arranged in a familiar shape, such as a person, an animal, or an object. The word constellation is fittingly accurate, since it is comprised of the Latin words con, meaning together, and stella, meaning star. What's more, there are a few unofficial groupings of stars, either within a single constellation or spanning several constellations, which astronomers call asterisms. Some examples of asterisms include the Big Dipper, which is part of the Big Bear, as well as the Summer Triangle, which are three bright stars, each in separate constellations. Interestingly, the Bible makes a few references to some of these stars and constellations. For example, the Pleiades are mentioned no less than three times in Scripture, twice in Job 9.9 and Job 38.31, and once in Amos 5.8. Of course, the Pleiades is neither a constellation nor an asterism, but rather a star cluster. As astronomer Dr. Danny Faulkner explains, the Pleiades appears as a tight knot of stars visible high overhead during winter evenings in the Northern Hemisphere. Six or seven Pleiades, what we call the individual members of the Pleiades, can easily be seen on a dark, clear night, though the star cluster contains about a thousand stars. The Pleiades is sometimes called the Seven Sisters. In fact, in Amos 5.8, the King James Version renders it the Seven Stars, though more modern translations call it the Pleiades. Nevertheless, in all three biblical occurrences, the Hebrew word is the same and means a heap or pile. Similarly, all three of the occurrences where Pleiades is mentioned, Orion is also mentioned in conjunction. 
However, unlike the Pleiades, Orion is a constellation. Known as the Hunter, Orion resembles the figure of a man, and it is relatively easy to pick out. Interestingly, the Hebrew word used for Orion in the Old Testament is a word that is translated the other 70 times that it occurs as fool. Notably, the word appears translated as fool 11 times in Proverbs 26. Although Jewish tradition identifies Orion with Nimrod, whom Genesis 10, 8, and 9 calls a mighty hunter, the record of this identification dates to medieval times, so it isn't clear that the ancient Hebrews would have identified Orion with Nimrod. What is clear is that in all three of these biblical passages, God and God alone is acknowledged as the creator of these magnificent heavenly bodies. As God himself rhetorically asks Job, and by extension us, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? or loose the cords of Orion. Now, as I mentioned at the end of the segment there, the main point of the biblical references to these stars is to acknowledge God as their creator. That's really, really important. These stars cannot tell us the future or anything about ourselves as astrology teaches. Only God can do that. These verses reaffirm that the stars are created entities made by God, first of all, for his glory, and secondly, for our benefit, as Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 teaches. I think that's important to remember because astrology is, the, is, the, is a religion, is the study of the stars and believing they prophesy for you. But astronomy is the study of the stars. And that's very important to make that distinguishing. Because I'm an amateur astronomer. I love it. Uh, and yeah, I love we've, it. we've been doing that since I was little. I know. Yeah, I got that's it. right big reflector telescope and I look at the sky. It's awesome. A great place to look at the sky is in the fall or in the spring, not in the summer and well, in the winter, yes, yeah. but it's just up where I'm at, it's like you freeze, you really, it's cold. Yeah. The only time it wasn't fine is when the skunk showed up. That was, <laughs> yeah, other than oh. that, it was good. That's yeah. a whole story for another day, That's isn't another it? story mm -hmm. for another time. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. Anyway, Janice. Yes, well, as I mentioned off the top of the program, today on the calendar, it's September the 5th, which means it's Labor Day, which means here in Canada that tomorrow our students start back to school. And we did have a time of prayer for them earlier last week. We're going have a special time of prayer again for you tomorrow. But today I really want to zero in on all of those who are teachers. And that could mean that you are a homeschool teacher at home. You are just as much a teacher as somebody who is employed by a school system. Amen. But I just really want to encourage you today. I want to thank you so much for the calling that you have on your life, and especially as a believer, that you are going into a system, perhaps a public system, that doesn't agree <clears throat> largely with a lot of the values that you have as you follow Christ, but you go in there as a spiritual force as one who's bringing God with you no matter where you put your feet. And you can pray for your students and you can pray for those around you and you can be a real leader and a real influence. And we just want to say thank you for doing that. And for moms and dads who, who choose to homeschool, we just want to thank you for pouring into your children and to teach them. You know, the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter four is such an important portion of scripture. And it, and it tells us and commands us to teach our children, grandparents to teach our grandchildren about God so that they and we will not forget about him because there's just so much going up in our world. It's a busy place and they're going to learn things 
that we don't want them to learn. But if we can educate them in who God is and how much he loves them and get their um, little minds and their hearts wrapped around his word, uh, that's the best thing that we can do. So today, as we lead out of my segment, Rod, I just really would like us to focus <clears throat> on the men and women, the moms and the dads that are teachers of our children. And this doesn't just mean elementary uh, students. This can mean professors yeah. at universities and colleges and, and Christian schools and Christian universities and colleges as well. Really encompasses all of them yeah. everywhere. I, I, you know, I would like to pray for the homeschoolers specifically because they are the ones who always say to me, you know, we, we don't really have anybody supporting us, but they've got a few organizations. But Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the homeschoolers right now. I pray that these mothers and these fathers who are teaching their children are fulfilling your law. They're fulfilling your desire. And I say your desire, not your law, because we, we want to follow you. So your desire, Lord, is that we teach the children, we teach the children about God. We teach them right and wrong. We teach them the way that you taught us as we've learned the Bible. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would help them to teach other subjects as well. Give them the support they need and help them, Lord. We recognize their commitment to excellence. And this is what we pray. And, you know, there's going to be difficulty. It's not like when I grew up. It's, there's going to be difficulty uh, with some. They, they want other kids to play with and all that. It's just hard to navigate all that. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would return to those students, to those children, the ability, the fellowship, and all of the work involved in coming together with other kids and who are also in homeschoolers. Lord, we pray for that fellowship aspect. And in Jesus' name, be with the organizations. Touch the organizations, Lord, of Pensacola and other places. Just help them, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And this is what we ask together. Amen and amen. At the end of the program, we pray, and I, I would encourage you to join me. Father, we pray, all of us together, that you would help us to know your word. Help us to understand what it says through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to internalize it in our hearts. Help us, Father, because we need to know your word. Then, Father, help us as we pray to speak to others your word. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.